All couples argue. All couples have conflicts. But successful couples know how to repair both during and after disagreements. Repair prevents resentment and it makes forgiveness possible. It de-escalates conflict and it's vital for any relationship to thrive. But research shows repair only works when relationships have this one key ingredient. Can you guess what that one is? Tune into this episode of Master Your Marriage for the answer. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Relationships are such a fascinating system. On one hand, we're wired for attachment. From the time we're in the womb, we are attached. Co-regulation begins before we ever learn how to self-regulate, whether it's her voice that soothes us through the uterine wall or her stress that elevates our heart rate, the nervous system of mother and baby are intertwined. Later in life, we form bonds in various types of relationships. In romantic relationships, our desire for attachment continues. There is no doubt that humans are designed for attachment. Is that why all this week I just seemed like I wanted a hug from you? You were a little huggy this week. I was a little huggy this week. And I, I don't even know what that was about. All right. And, and yet relationships are a system that is set up for failure. Every marriage, every couple, every partnership is set up for hurt, disappointment, and sometimes failure. Why is this? Well, it's because we're very flawed people, generally just doing the best we can with the resources we presently have. We all enter relationships with our baggage and our trigger buttons already wired from our early life relationships. And we've all been, we've all been conditioned with beliefs and values that will inevitably not always align with our partner. This means conflict will be guaranteed. And research shows that 69% of conflict between couples is not really even solvable. All we can do is learn to dialogue through conflicts and manage them as best we can. Yeah, and even further, it's actually impossible to be emotionally available to your partner 100% of the time. Oh, absolutely. In Dr. John Gottman's book, The Science of Trust, he actually talks about this and he explains that in every relationship, the opportunity for both partners to be emotionally available at the same exact time is only 9%. What? 9%. 9% of the time, you're going to be emotionally available at the same time. I'm going to be emotionally available. Well, that explains a lot. Which means that's going to leave 91% of our relationship ripe for hurt feelings and miscommunications, right? All those misunderstandings. It's easy to see why they happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I remember learning this and this information that whole 9% 91, that made me feel a whole lot better about our relationship. It totally did. Yeah. Um, and it's actually normal to have these times when you feel out of sync emotionally. That was that was cool. It's kind of helpful to just know you're normal and that there's not something wrong with your relationship or that maybe you picked the wrong person when you start to realize these things. So That's I think it's kind of validating to know you're normal. Yeah. And it's that it's a, it's the same as that 69 percent of all disagreements are not solvable. Like when we tell people that they're just like mind is blown. Right. So can you also see just how normal your relationship really is? 
most people are comparing the inside of their relationship with the outside of other people's relationships. Ooh, bad and idea. What they show, you know, what you see on the outside, what you see on social media, when the truth is that all relationships experience these same obstacles and these same failures. Failure is not really the problem. Odd as this may sound, failure is actually the solution to your relationship. Failure is the refiner's fire. Failure is what develops us and helps our relationships grow. So some of you are listening are parents. And as parents, we often worry so much about how our failures impact our children's development. We were just interviewed on the Nurturing Parent podcast last week, and that was a lot of fun. And we talked about how we wish we could go back and do things differently with our children. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing about that. Research suggests that a mother who failed to be responsive and available 50% of the time can actually still raise a child to be a healthy adult with healthy relationships. So that gives us a pretty good margin of error. Yeah, I feel better already. I know, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Being a good parent isn't measured by the errors they make. It's what they do with them. How a child copes with their own failures and challenges in life is directly related to the degree in which the parent created an environment for a secure attachment and what the parents did after their errors. So it isn't necessary to be perfect as a parent, but it is necessary to be a parent who repairs their mishaps. Mm. So my heart just skipped a beat. I'm going to tell a story. I know the story. I'm going to tell yeah. a story just about my childhood that illustrates this. So when you grow up in a home that nobody ever repairs, where nobody ever says they're sorry, it is so confusing to the child. When you have an adult who parents you or is supposed to parent you, and that adult cannot regulate their own emotions very well, what happens is they say a lot of things that are, are hurtful or there's a lot of chaos that happens. And then it's like someone just pulls a screen and the face changes. And all of a sudden, everything is normal. And it's like, okay, let's go to di you know, dinner. What's, what are we having for dinner? And it was like, wait a minute, 30 seconds ago, I was terrified. And now things are supposed to be normal. And it's really confusing for a child growing up that way. And I remember this one time that my mom called and this was like, as an adult, this was only not that long ago, less than a year ago. Yeah. And she called to tell me she was disappointed and upset with me about something. And she said, you know, I don't know what you want from me. And I, for whatever reason, I just said, you know, what I really want is I just want to hear you once in my life say I'm sorry, to take responsibility for one thing. And she answered back and she said, fine, I'm sorry. And it didn't feel very heartfelt, but it was interesting neurologically what that did to me as a 50-year-old adult having not heard that my whole life. And I actually just started to weep. And I was incredibly emotional at that point. Just hearing I'm sorry was, it, I don't know, it, it just caused such a, a rift throughout my entire body. Yeah, but it was the thing that you had never heard and maybe had hoped you would hear, right. so genuine or not. Right. Or so, at least as genuine as she could make that. Right, right. Yeah. So what we're talking about with parents who repair is so vital. Um, I had no idea how much that would impact me because I thought I'd already done a lot of work on it and I thought I had already forgiven it and I thought I had already moved on and I didn't ex 
expect to have that reaction to it. I, I was surprised when you when you told me about it. Um, and the part that surprised me the most was how meaningful it was to you to hear that from her. I thought maybe you had sort of detached yourself from applying meaning to most of the words in that relationship. Yeah. 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 Done a lot of work of pushing that. So I thought it was, I thought that was interesting and, and that was a cool story to share. Yeah. yeah did so good. what does this have to do now with our adult relationships? Well, boy, I tell you what. So we talked a little bit about kids. So let's talk about what it, what happens when it comes to romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. okay? So the evidence shows that the same principle applies. The difference between happy and unhappy couples is not the omission of mistakes or the absence of conflict. We all make mistakes and we all have conflict. What sets apart the masters from the disasters is the ability to prepare. And it's my favorite saying. It's a good time for Robert's favorite saying. Yeah, what's right? that? How you disagree is, is how you do your marriage. Right. And disagreement requires repair. a lot of repair. Absolutely. Repair is the key for any relationship to succeed because no matter how careful we try to be, right, we will inevitably both do things that will rupture our connection. Oh, yeah. Every relationship will experience at one point or another screaming matches or saying mean things to each other or criticism and defensiveness and negativity and even stonewalling. Of course, these things are not the goal. But both healthy and unhealthy couples will experience these things to different degrees, some more than others. The difference is at some point, the masters will have a conversation where they recover from that rupture. So that's a repair attempt, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another key difference is that the masters, they, uh, they take responsibility or they own their crap. Yeah. Um, they own up to their part of the problem, their participation and when they do that, they can begin the process of healing that connection quickly. Masters also realize that their relationship is more important than proving a point or trying to be right. In fact, their relationship is more important than whatever the problem is itself. And we've all had those arguments that are pointless. And yeah, man, I just can't tell you how many times with doing couples coaching, we talk to people who have let resentment and these things fester for years and years before they try to repair it. And oftentimes there can be so much damage at that point that it can be too late. Yeah, and, and one or both isn't willing to, to even do the forgiveness work. Yeah. So when a couple has had a regrettable incident, repair should be done as quickly as possible. We shouldn't let these things fester. And this is why one of the questions Robert and I like to ask each other weekly is whether we've hurt or offended the other person so that we can process that incident quickly and keep that connection between us clean, right? Without that bad energy. So here's, here's my question for the week. Have I, have I done anything to, you know, that I need to repair? Oh, oh are we doing this live? Yeah, we're doing this live. I don't know. Well, ask me in like 15 minutes when this episode is done and then I'll answer your question. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so, good. I can't think of anything right now, but we still have to finish. By the way, we have on a whole episode on this, which is called How to Work Through a Past Fight. Um, that was aired on May 3rd. Uh, the process for repairing a past fight is to take responsibility, apologize for your role in it, and then take it a step further and unpack what, what went wrong so that you can talk about constructive ways to avoid something like ha that happening again in the future. That is what a good repair might look like after the fight. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it because we actually process one of our own regrettable incidents and model how we did that. Yes. Of course, repair is better, however, when we catch ourselves mid-disagreement and de-escalate before we get to that point. Absolutely. 
The sooner we repair, the better. But there's actually another even more important piece of the repair puzzle, okay? Back in the research love lab, Dr. Gottman analyzed thousands of hours of video and he had a specific question in mind. He asked, in what ways do couples try to make things better? Oh, I, I love this study. And, and after studying more than 3,000 couples, Dr. Gottman found that how re a repair attempt was made did not necessarily predict the effectiveness of that repair, meaning couples would sometimes do a beautiful repair and their partner would reject it, whereas other couples would make clumsy repairs and they would have great success in that. So Dr. Gottman shared one of these examples in a story. In one of the studies, he observed a chemist and his wife talking about the nature of his work. The husband didn't know exactly when he was coming home for dinner, and his wife said to him, well, the kids get hungry and they don't want to start dinner without you and they get irritable and I'm the one that has to put up with them. So she's starting to escalate and get a little irritated. He says, well, why don't you just feed him a snack? His wife looked at him. <laughs> she looks at him with that face, you know, that face where she's like, what do you think I am? An idiot? Of course I gave them a snack. Uh oh, <laughs> that hey, look. And when he and when she did that, especially with that voice in the face, he realized that he needed to make a repair. So he just smiled with this big grin. And this was his repair attempt, this big, sort of stupid looking grin. And she started to laugh. It was effective. And it changed the trajectory of the conversation. They were on the verge of spiraling into negative negativity. But instead, the repair de-escalated that whole conversation into laughter. So how we repair isn't the most important element to a successful repair. So then the question is, what is the most important element to a successful repair? A goofy smile. Well, it could be. Okay. It's actually something else. It wasn't until Dr. Gottman looked at the physiology of the partner receiving the repair that he discovered the secret weapon of repair. The real difference between the couples who repaired successfully and those who didn't was the emotional climate between the partners. In other words, your repair attempt is only going to work well if you've been a really good friend to your partner. Yes, yeah. friendship. Friendship is not only the basis for all long-term committed relationships, it's the secret weapon of repair. Ooh, I love secret weapons. Friendship is necessary for repair to be truly effective. You've likely heard the concept of having your, of your relationship having an emotional bank account. So when you do nice things for each other, you appreciate each other, you are making positive deposits into your emotional bank account. When you're empathetic, when you're understanding, you're making more deposits. And when the storms come, as they always do in relationships, do. your account balance will be so important. If your account has been at a zero or a negative balance for a while, those repair attempts are probably going to fail. Repairs don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be complicated. They don't have to be fancy to be effective. You don't have to memorize a bunch of great phrases. What matters is the quality of your friendship. Oh, so any genuine repair will likely be accepted if you have a positive foundation of friendship and a positive balance in your account. That is why even a big stupid grin can be the most successful repair attempt. This is really the magic sauce for how to avoid hard feelings and drag out fights. It's better. It's just better to be friends. Just think about it. If you stayed the friends that you were when you were courting, oh man, 
how good would your relationship be right now? So this really begs the question, how do we remain good friends? Oh, there's got to be a way, we, right? How do we continually stay friends and add these positive deposits into our emotional bank account? And research tells us unequivocally there are three aspects to a great friendship and a relationship. These three things form the foundation for any relationship to thrive. All right. So the first one is really knowing and being known. This itself is a pretty big topic and many people struggle with honesty and vulnerability and allowing themselves to really be known by another person. But how can you actually love someone that you don't know? Mm-hmm. Knowing someone requires us to accept the risk that comes with being known. We might be rejected. We might be abandoned, mm -hmm. but we do it anyway so that we can have an honest relationship. Knowing someone means giving them the map to your inner psychological world and you receive their map. And with those maps, you know each other's greatest fears and hopes, dreams, triggers. You know each other's pasts. You know each other's past hurts, past traumas, and your greatest joys. But knowing someone isn't a one-time thing. You have to keep that map updated because life changes everyone. So it's so important to stay current on how we're both evolving in our relationship. And I like that term evolving because so many things change us. Mm -hmm. And if we just assume that it's the same thing, you know, when we were single before we had kids and jobs and everything else, then we might be missing the boat. So important. Especially like big transitions in life. Those things really change us when we go into parenthood. Yeah. Remember the statistic we've shared this before, 67% of couples, once they have children, go into extreme dissatisfaction. Again, this is because they're not staying experts in each other's lives. They don't continue to know each other and they just, they they fall away from one another. Yeah, they're not investing that time. So, so. yeah, life changes everyone, especially these big transitions, retirement, job changes, moving, moves, having kids. We have to stay current. So the key is investing time. Um, and staying current on one another's lives, right? People always ask, like, is there this minimum amount of time necessary to ensure that, that our friendship and relationship doesn't deteriorate? And it's not a set number because it depends on how you use that time. Are you really talking or are you just sitting next to each other on the couch, just scrolling on the phone? Like mm -hmm. one is really useful and the other one is, well, it's fun. It's not going to tell you much about the other person's inner psychological world. The important thing is that you are creating intentional time every week to update your maps. How do you do that? How do you update your maps? Well, you have to be curious about each other. You have to stay curious and ask good open-ended questions like you did back when you were dating, when you were actually interested in one another. Questions like, you know, so what personal improvements do you want to make to your life this year? Where do you see us and our relationship in five years? What's a dream that you are really still wanting to achieve that you haven't yet? You know, good questions should be open-ended questions that can sometimes keep you two talking for hours. But that's not what couples do when they go through these transitions and they start having kids. What, what they do is these conversations usually start to evolve into, hey, did you remember to get the mail? Or can you pick up the kids from school today? And when we do this and we fail to have real conversations, we stop being experts in each other's lives. So that's the first principle of maintaining friendship, updating our love maps. Mm -hmm. 
The second principle is to nurture gratitude and admiration for each other. This is important because gratitude is the greatest antidote for contempt, and contempt is the number one killer of relationships. Gratitude shifts your habit of mind so that you notice and generally see the good in one another. Then, take it a step further. Don't just notice it, but say something. Speak it. Tell your partner how much you love and appreciate them. Let them know you're proud of them. Compliment them and thank them for all of the things that they do for you. Research shows that this one principle alone, when you apply it, can predict the success of your relationship. And it will make a huge difference in your ability to repair because you're adding emotional deposits into your bank account. So many deposits, great deposits. Then the third principle of friendship is responding to attempts for connection. See, in every relationship, couples make subtle attempts to connect with the other. Because remember what we said at the beginning, because we're only emotionally available at the same time, about 9% of the time, these attempts often fail. Yep. Your partner tries to tell you a story or they try to share eye contact with you. They might make a gesture to get your attention and you either don't notice or you just ignore that attempt altogether. And research shows that your ability to notice and respond positively to these attempts predicts the future of your relationship. So friendship requires us to pay attention and respond to these bids for emotional connection and attention. Be attentive, hold hands, answer each other's questions, ask one another's opinion, laugh at their jokes, and make eye contact. That is the foundation for friendship, right? We talked about love maps, which is staying in touch with one another's lives, having appreciation, and then responding to these attempts for emotional connection. So assuming you're working on having a solid friendship, what else do you need to know about repair? Well, do it often. Do it early. And remember, it doesn't have to be complicated. Any statement or any action, silly, like a silly grin, silly or otherwise that prevents negativity from spinning out of control is a perfect repair attempt. When you feel a conversation escalating, it could be as simple as a goofy grin or simply saying, hey, let's slow this down. It could be grabbing your partner a cup of coffee or a cup of water if you're having a disagreement. Just do something nice. Repair by saying you're sorry. And when you say you're sorry, mean it. When you make a mistake, quickly own it and self-correct. And above all, forgive often. Remember, it's not the failures that matter. It's how we repair learn and forgive. That is what it is to be having this human experience. And if you remember, we have an entire course on forgiveness to help you with this, which is currently only $19 and you can find it at forgive.masteryourmarriagepodcast.com. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for being here. And if you haven't yet, please drop us a five-star review and then come on over to Instagram and stay connected with us there. Be kind to each other. Take care of each other. Put each other first. Small things, my friends. It's the small things we do often that create rich, meaningful friendships and long-lasting relationships. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.